Amen. Hey, if you have your Bible apps or your Bibles, go with me to Mark chapter 9. Mark the ninth chapter. If you've ever played poker with people who don't know how to play poker, you find out very quickly it's no fun unless you're playing for money. And then it's a lot of fun. We weren't playing for money. Thus, it was no fun. And it was the elders' retreat over a year ago. It was Steve Marshall, Todd LePage, Randy Smith, and myself playing a game of Texas Hold'em, of which I was the only player who really knew how to play Texas Hold'em. A couple hands in, I had a brilliant idea. You see, there was a college football game on. It was Thursday night, and I had to watch ESPN app on my tablet. So watch the game I wanted to watch or stick to playing poker with three other gentlemen who didn't know how to play poker. I got dealt a 2-3 off suit. I went all in. It was a perfect plan. I was going to gracefully bow out when I went bust, and then I would have my time to watch the game as I watched the other three stumble over a game of poker none of them understood. And then I would just have a lot of fun with that as well. And then the kitty showed up. Oh, there were two threes and one two. That's right. This guy got a full house. He went all in. He won everything. And I was stuck in the poker game. And I ended up winning it. And what did I win? Just the adulation and the knowledge of knowing you beat three other guys who don't know how to play poker. That's fantastic. Well, the next night came, and, and our wives all joined us up in, in New York, where we were staying. And then we decided that we were going to go shopping the next day. Yes! <laughs> and so we did. We went to a village, all these boutiques. And, and they're great stores, I guess, if you're into that sort of thing. I'm not. I, I don't know. And, and so we just went into to various stores, and we looked at antiques and all kinds of wonderful knit socks. And then we went into a health food store where I saw my opportunity, so I pulled the lady aside and pointed that Steve was indeed my father, and he was struggling from a wicked bout of constipation. And then I sent her over there, and she, uh, she highlighted one of the colon cleanse products that they had, and, and I got a little bit of sick joy out of that. And then we... And then we <laughs> Then we returned home, and, and so this year before we went, Steve said, all right, Brian, on Friday night, you are to come up with our activity. Now, it's not many settings that you would find me included with some other gentlemen that you would say, I'm the wild card. I mean, that's just not normally the case. I'm normally very mild-mannered, just somebody who goes along with the flow. But in this group of guys, I'm clearly the wild card. And so I started brainstorming what I thought would be a great way to spend our Friday evening together as elders. And my first idea, everybody shot down. You see, Lake Chautauqua, where we were up in New York, has one of the 25th most haunted places in all of America. I don't believe in ghosts, but I wanted to drag the elders along on a ghost hunt, to which they're all like, we don't want to go on a ghost hunt, which was kind of the point. But I decided, no, I'll just let that go. Because 
because if we did come across anybody who really does believe in the paranormal, we're probably going to ruin their evening, and that's just not going to be good for them. So we'll bow out of that. My next idea was a polar plunge. The water was 38 degrees. It was a balmy 29 outside, a little bit of snow falling. I thought it'd be a great team-building experience, and then I quickly found out I would be the only one entering the water, which would have ruined any joy on that. And so my third option and my third conclusion that I came to was a can't miss. Christopher Nolan had a new film out. Christopher Nolan is a genius. He, he's done the Dark Knight trilogy. He's done Inception. I mean, just the prestige. The, the films go on and on and on. Just, just an incredible artist, just a genius. And his new movie, Interstellar, was coming out. And, and I just love Christopher Nolan. And I'm like, we can't miss. We're going to go see Interstellar. And for the other elders, it wasn't a ghost hunt or a polar plunge, so they were in. And so we went and we saw Interstellar. And for the next three hours, Randy's mind was blown. Todd was fighting sleep. Steve was staring at the screen somewhat crooked and a little dumbfounded. And I'm just watching as I'm like, I really like this, but I don't know what I'm watching, but it's really, really good. And, and so as we leave the theater, Todd and Randy look at somebody who's leaving, and they're just like, what did we just watch? And that was the response they got. You ever been there? Maybe it's a movie. Maybe it's something else that you've witnessed. You're not even fully sure of what you've just seen. You're, you're, kind of, you're kind of confused a little bit by what you just witnessed. It may be the stupidity of a coworker or a neighbor. It may be something your child does that you're just like, hmm? It may be something your parents pull off. You're just like, ooh, I'm not going to be like that when I'm older. It might be any of those things. It's just that moment where you're caught and you witness something and you're just dumbfounded by what you see. And this morning in Mark chapter 9, what we're going to see is one of these events happened and it was incredible, but it left the disciples dumbfounded. And if you were there, it would have left you dumbfounded as well. So in Mark 9, beginning in verse 2, here's what we see. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah and Moses. And they were talking with Jesus. This is an incredible scene. There's Jesus. There's, there's Peter, James, and John. Jesus had 12 disciples, but these three were the ones he really built into. These three disciples were the closest men in Jesus' life. They got to see and experience things the other nine disciples did not get to see and experience. And here they are, and they go up a mountain, and all of a sudden, in front of their very eyes, Jesus is transfigured before them. And he just becomes radiant. He becomes blindingly white. So white, Mark says, that you couldn't bleach to get this white. 
It was something that was incredibly supernatural. And if that's not enough, if just the glory of Jesus being revealed in ways that he normally veiled was not enough, on the scene are Moses and Elijah. I mean, some of, the, some of just the, the greatest servants of God in the Old Testament that, that we see. Moses, you'll remember from Exodus 33 and 34, as he, as he was going through the process of, of getting the Ten Commandments, he was exposed to the glory of God. And Moses, Moses was told by God, you cannot see my face and live. If you see me in my full glory, you will die. That is how glorious God is. And so God said, I'll put you in a cleft and my glory will pass by. And just from that, as Moses descended the mountain, when he got the Ten Commandments, he, he glowed. Elijah, prophet who, who saw God through him and, and just around him perform miracles as he proclaimed the truth of the law. And one last miraculous act was taken to heaven without dying in 2 Kings chapter 2. These men saw God perform miracles. These men were incredible servants of God. They were not perfect, but they accomplished much for God's and here's the scene. Jesus is glowing. He is white. He's been transfigured. That which he normally veiled was on display. His disciples are there, and then they see Moses and Elijah show up. And they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Can't you just see it? Jesus is there. He's glowing. Elijah and Moses is there. And then there's the three disciples over to the side. You see. It's good that we're here. Dynamite saying, Peter. <laughs> Let me help. When you're caught in life in those times, you just don't know what to say, especially if you're wired like me. You're just going to say something. Let me help. Just shut up. Just don't say anything. Just stop. It'll save you a lot of, it'll save you a lot of heartache. I promise you that. And Peter's that guy. I don't know if they played rock, paper, scissors. I don't know if they just kept elbowing him. I don't know if he just can't help himself. And he just throws that out. It's good that we're here. Let us make three tents. One for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. You think? You think? All of a sudden, Jesus is glowing. He's talking to people who've been dead for hundreds, 1,000 years. 
They're on top of this mountain. It's not a bad dream. This is happening in front of their very eyes. You think they're terrified? And the cloud overshadowed them. And a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them, but Jesus only. God, in his voice, says, listen to my son. And I hope that voice is like James Earl Jones. I, I just hope so, because if it's more like Prince, I'm just going to be really surprised when I get to heaven, right? So I'm, in, in my view, it's going to be a James Earl Jones voice. In your view, it can be whatever you think God sounds like. But in, in my view, that's what God sounds like. And out of, out of this, just they're terrified, and they don't know what to say, and they see guys who've been dead, and Jesus is glowing, and they're talking and they're off to the side and Peter's like yeah this is good let's build you guys some tents I don't really know what else to say and then God says this is my son listen to him listen to him listen to him about what See, Jesus had just started revealing the plan. And throughout this chapter, he's going to reveal the plan. This is the plan of Jesus. Yes, to usher in a victorious kingdom, but before that, there was a stop. And the stop was the cross. And the cross was necessary for us so that we could be part of that kingdom. And the plan included not only death, but it included resurrection. And here's Peter, here's James, and here's John, and they see something that just boggles their mind. It just blows their minds as they see what's going on. Peter's like, yeah, this is it. It's good that we're here. What Peter's saying is, your kingdom's coming. And it's good. But he didn't understand everything else. I mean, just last week we saw that he already has come to the knowledge that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the Christ, but he just didn't understand the full plan yet. And they see this incredible thing happening that I can't explain. Jesus is like, yeah, this is, and Peter's like, yeah, this is good, Jesus. And Jesus says, this isn't the full plan. And God says, this is my son. Listen to him. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. Stay quiet till you understand the plan. 
Stay quiet until this is fulfilled. Don't tell anyone about what you have just seen until you fully understand. Because there's nothing more dangerous than part of the story. There's nothing more dangerous than part of the story. And be careful in this, not just in the spiritual realm, but be careful of this in every realm in which you live. Be careful of this when you make judgments about people. Be careful about this when you make decisions about your employees or when you make decisions about the company you work for or when you read people's perspective on social media. There's nothing more dangerous than part of the story. Because it's amazing how we can draw one conclusion until we hear the full story. This is dangerous in every area, in every aspect of life, but it is incredibly dangerous in the spiritual realm. And Jesus, knowing that danger, says to his disciples, don't say a word. And the disciples, just illustrating the fact that they don't get it, are like, what does this mean? Resurrection? Rising from the dead? What is going on? And they asked him, why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. Now, what in the world's going on here? And there's a lot of people who have a lot of different interpretations of this, and we don't have time to go through all of them. I mean, we could have spent the whole morning on just this. Here's what I think, and if you disagree with me, God bless you. You might be right. But here's, here's the interpretation that we get. Elijah that he's talking about here is not literally Elijah. It's not literally the prophet that he just spoke to. It's not the prophet who came years before. In, in the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 1, verse 21, when it was suggested that John the Baptist was Elijah, you see, John the Baptist was, was preparing the way for the Messiah, and people were looking at him, and they were thinking, oh, you're Elijah. John the Baptist clearly says, I'm, I'm not Elijah. But understand this, John the Baptist came in the spirit of Elijah and the power of Elijah. He is a prophet of great power, just like Elijah. And so the Elijah spoken of here is not the literal Elijah, according to my understanding, when you take in the, the ministry of John the Baptist, when you take into account John 121. And if you disagree with me, that's fine. For those of you who are like, Brian, I have no idea what you're talking about, join back with me, because we're going to move on now to Mark 9, verse 14. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them. And scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you. For he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. So the other nine disciples are, are, in, are in an argument. They're in an argument. 
And Jesus and the other disciples joined them, and all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed. And they run up to Jesus and greeted him. And he's like, what? What are you arguing about? And some voice from the crowd cries out, my son. Oh, the heartache only a parent can understand. So much love, so much care, so much dedication, so much time nurturing your kid. You're there from the start, naturally. God's entrusted you with this child. Give it your best. You're not perfect, but you try. You'd love them. You'd give them the world if you could, but not too much because you don't want them to be a spoiled brat. And you fight that balance of how do I give them what I wish I had and yet not make them lazy and complacent. And, and I just, I, I, wanna, I wanna do the best that I can. And I, and I just, I love them more than life itself. There is anything in this world that I would do for you. Oh, to have that love that only a parent understands. To be so involved and yet so helpless at the same time. To have your heart just ripped out of your chest day in and day out. As you see your son who you love so much, you would give anything for him. You, you just love him. You think the world of him. And, and, and you just see him and he's miserable. And here he, he can't talk. He's thrown to the ground, he foams at the mouth, and there's nothing you can do. All of a sudden, it doesn't matter how much money you make. It doesn't matter where you live. It doesn't matter how you get around. It doesn't matter who your friends are. All of those things no longer matter. All that matters is there's your kid, and you are helpless, and you would give anything. just to see their circumstances change. And I know that some of you are there today. Because, yeah, it's not a demon that they're possessed with. But it's their heart. And you tried your best. You loved them. You try to instill in them the virtue of a life that is spent following Jesus. They just have different priorities. They just have different concerns. And you've lost count of the number of nights you've cried yourself to sleep. You've lost count of the number of times you've just gotten mad when you look at them and you just wonder, what are you doing with your life? You've lost count of the number of times you've gone hoarse from just screaming at them, just begging and pleading with them, get a grip, get a hold of yourself. Oh, the helplessness of a parent. cries out to Jesus because he sees his son in agony. He sees his kid in trouble. And 
Whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they weren't able. I'm sure they tried. I'm sure those nine gave it, gave it their all. And I'm sure when they gave it their best and it didn't work, all the crowd, all the onlookers started with the questions. Oh. Maybe God's not so powerful after all. Maybe Jesus doesn't really do this sort of thing. Maybe you're not a real follower. Maybe you're part of something that's counterfeit. And I'm sure in just the utter discouragement of not being able to see a miracle happen. And yet the belief that was acknowledged last week when they came to the conclusion that Jesus is the Christ. They just started arguing with the crowd. And Jesus answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And here was a child who from childhood had been through incredible physical agony. Why? Because something deeper was happening. Something deeper that couldn't fully be seen on the surface was going on. So this is, this is our son's little little uh, coloring table. And I got this idea last week, right? You see it there. And you can see some mess. I mean, he's two. He's two. But last week when we, we were going over glow, I just was like, that's incredible. And I started looking at that. See all that hidden there? You can't fully see. You can't fully see it until you get a new perspective. And this is our challenge. This is our challenge as Christ followers. This is our challenge as people. People have issues going on that we can't always see. All we see are the symptoms. We don't see the cause. We don't see the underlying issue. And we need a new perspective. If we are going to be all that God has called us to be, 
in how we love people and how we seek after people so that we can show them that God is seeking after them. Our perspective has to change. And we can no longer look at people just on the surface. We can no longer just look at the stupid things that they do and say, well, they're an idiot. There's something deeper. And oftentimes it's a spiritual matter. How's your perspective? How do you see people? Because I guarantee the town saw this kid, they're like, he's whack. Jesus saw the greater problem. Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And if you're here today and you're struggling, I want you to know the same invitation is available to you. Cry out and ask God to help you. Maybe you're here and you've heard this story and it just doesn't all make sense to you. You've heard what Jesus has done and yet somehow, some way, there's a disconnect. Ask God to help you. Maybe you're here and this is following Christ has been almost a lifelong endeavor for you. And from the time you were a child, you can remember coming to the point where you realized, God, I'm far from you. I'm a sinner. I need your grace. Forgive me. And you've been following Jesus for pretty much as long as you can remember. And yet you're at a place right now where you're just stale and you're just depressed and life doesn't make any sense and you're starting to wonder, God, where are you at? Why won't you move? Why are you letting me flounder here? Why won't you work in my life? Cry out to God. God is never scared of the question. God is never scared of your unbelief. God will help you through his spirit. Cry out to him because he already knows anyways. Help my unbelief. The posture of coming to the end of yourself and saying, God, I need your help. Help me. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse so that most of them said he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he rose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And Jesus said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Look, I don't know all the implications of that. I don't know all the implications of why the disciples couldn't cast the demon out. Here's what I know. Jesus places an importance on prayer. And if you're stuck, if you're in an area of your life where you just can't budge, if you look at your kid who you love and you would do anything and everything for, and they're just so far from God, and it seems like nothing's working, all I can tell you is pray. I know in some levels that answer feels empty. But we have to understand we're helpless.
Give your child over to God in the same way this parent did. Help my unbelief, God. I don't know what's going on in my life right now. I don't know what you're doing. Let's give that to God. God, I hear that you can save me, but here's the mess that is my life. Just cry out to him. Because there's a whole lot of circumstances and a whole lot of situations are just like that demon. And the only answer is prayer. That's it. They went on from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and when he is killed after three days, he will rise. But they did not understand the saying, and they were afraid to ask him. And here's the message again. I'm going to die. I'm going to raise again. And they still don't get it. And they came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent. For on the way, they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve. And he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. See it? Jesus, Peter, James, and John are on top of a mountain. Jesus is transfigured. He talks to Moses. He talks to Elijah. He's wider than anything they've ever seen. They come down the mountain. There's a family broken apart. A little kid. Who's a prisoner to a demon. The disciples try to, to cast out the demon. They can't. Jesus does. He tells them he will die. Raised from the dead. And they argue about who's the greatest. The answer is obvious. The greatest is Jesus. And yet we're guilty of the very same thing. Or we elevate ourselves, we elevate our gifts, we elevate that which we do and which we accomplish. That which we we accomplish in serving God and we elevate ourselves. We, we, would, we might not say it, but in our hearts. Oh, the stupidity of the disciples to argue over which of them was the greatest. In light of all that they have just seen, in light of all that Jesus has just told them. 
Oh, the stupidity of ourselves in light of all that we have seen Jesus do. And this is the point of following Jesus that is shown throughout this entire chapter. That for us to follow, we must give up and let go. Because we are not God. And when we get to that point, we come to a place when we let go, when we seek God. When our prayers become more fervent and passionate than they've ever been. And we see God work in ways that he's never worked before in our lives. But it starts with letting go. So right now what we're going to do is it's just going to be quiet. I'm just going to leave the stage quietly and right where you are. I want you to see God for all that he is and yourself for all that you are. They're not going to play anything for a minute. It's just going to be silent. And I want you first to see, do I need to let go of my own pride? Do I need to let go of me? And then after you've answered that question, I want you to seek God. Maybe you're here and you're not a follower of God, and that's fine. And what I want to encourage you to do this morning is just right where you are, just cry out to God. Say, God, if you're real, reveal yourself to me. Maybe you're here and you've been following God for a long time, and you've just started to rely on yourself. Just let go. And seek God. Maybe you're here and your kid is just so far from God. Maybe today's the day for the very first time you just finally give that up. Say, God, work in my son and daughter's lives. I'm tired. I just need you. Whatever it is for you, in the quietness of this room right now, just give it up to God.